All around the world, poverty is stealing choices from kids. It's time to give those choices back. Introducing Chosen, World Vision's new invitation to sponsorship. For the first time, kids have the power to choose their own sponsors. Now the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future, and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Learn more at worldvision.org chosen. Thank you for listening to BRC and Friends. This is another episode that is done in partnership between First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto and BRC and Friends. In this series, you're going to be hearing from candidates for the Palo Alto City Council. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything else that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for me to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. Well, welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto webinars. This is a place where we engage the hearts and minds of academics, artists, authors, and community leaders. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian. Today's webinar is part of a series where I'm interviewing 2020 candidates for Palo Alto City Council. In this series of interviews, I hope to not only get to know the issues that are important to each candidate, but also to get to know the person behind the politician. We'll be taking questions later, so please use the Q&A feature. Our, our back behind the scenes person, Derek, is not here today, so I'm on my own. So make sure folks are using the Q&A feature and I'm, I'll monitor the chat as I can, but please feel free to use that Q&A. We'll get to those later. Uh, the webinar is recorded, and we share it on our YouTube channel and our IG channel, as well as we post uh, the audio on my podcast, BRC and Friends. So, all the intro out of the way. Today, I welcome incumbent and candidate Greg Tanaka. So, I'm glad you could be here. Let's start off with um, just tell us who you are. Like, what's important for us to know? We get an hour to sit and talk a little bit. So, um, yeah, who who is Greg? Okay. Well, um, so I'll talk a little bit about my background. So um, I'm fourth generation Japanese American. So my great grandfather came here um, like 1880, so a long, long time ago. Um, um, my dad and my grandfather were both in internment camps you know, during World War II. Um, and uh, uh, so my, my dad grew up, you know, um, it's kind of a rough time when he, when he, when he grew up because uh, it was after the war out of the internment camps, you know, his dad didn't make it out. That my dad had tuberculosis in the camps. Um, so that kind of shaped his life. So he grew up with a single a single parent, uh, his mom, and it was really tough after the war, you know, being um being Japanese American in California. Because everyone knew someone that, that died. So it was an extreme racism, really, really tough um for to be Japanese American. From my mom's side, um so my mom's parents are uh from China. So I'm, I'm half Chinese, half Japanese as a result. Um so that's my 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 parents. For me, um, I grew up um, in a relatively poor part of California. So I I didn't grow up in an area like Palo Alto. Um, I, I just looked up just before this this call. I looked up where was the average household income, and where I grew up in, in versus like East Palo Alto. And it's, it's they're about the same. So that's yeah. that's kind of the area I I kind of grew up in. So I I, I feel I feel fortunate to actually be in a city like Palo Alto, because I, growing up, I never thought I would be in a place like this. So incredibly right. great. Can I, where, where, where did you grow up? Just curious. Uh, Southern California, a place called Northridge. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, actually one little, it's, it's, it's famous for a couple of things. One of, the, one of the things it's famous for, of course, is the earthquake. But the other thing it's sure. famous for is, I don't remember if you remember 
back in the eighties, there's this guy named Richard Ramirez. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, great. Yeah, so he, he's, he's called, he's called a night stalker, right? So he would, yep. he would, he would go into people's bedroom and shoot people in the head. Yep. Right. So like, I think three houses down from me, he, um, he, uh, went to my neighbor's house, like literally three houses from my house. And he went into uh, my neighbor's bedroom and shot the husband and wife in the head. And mm. it was like, we were terrified. I mean, it was, it was a, I mean, this is, so I had a very different upbringing than, than, than sure. most people here in, in Palo Alto. Um, so professionally, um, so um, uh, went to Caltech and Berkeley, um, engineering, um, been in tech sector, been, started out as an engineer, did um, uh, some work in product management, sales, marketing, corporate venture, a bunch of different things, uh, started a few companies. Um, and so that's me professionally. And then community-wise, uh, which is probably most interesting for the membership, I think, is uh, I, um, I started getting involved in the community. I've always been somewhat involved, but I, I started getting more heavily involved. It started actually in Malibu when I became treasurer of my HOA, Homeowners Association. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, you could sit on the sidelines and complain, or you could actually get involved and try to do something about it. And so I, I got involved in the HOA. Um, and then uh, when, I, when we moved to here to, uh, to Palo Alto, so my, my wife went to high school here in Palo Alto, and she also okay. went to Stanford for undergrad and graduate school. So, so she really wanted to live here. <laughs> That's one of our big motivations for mm -hmm. living in Palo Alto. And, um, and so, uh, uh, but the street we, we, we uh, moved into um, was what they call a cut through street. So I live in College Terrace and in College Terrace, half the streets are open, half the streets are closed. And so I lived on a cut through street and, um, you know, we were worried about our kids getting run over, the little kids at the time. And, um, and so I got involved in the neighborhood. And one of the first things I got involved in is uh, the traffic calming program. So I, I became president of my neighborhood association in College Terrace. And we got you know, speed tables put in and roundabouts to try to slow the traffic, which, which was successful. Mm -hmm. And the other big thing that happened was we, um, we uh, had a lot of parking intrusion problems. So the businesses from El Camino, uh, their employees would park in our neighborhood. And then we had Facebook at the time, and their employees would park in our neighborhood. And then we had Stanford and their, their students employees were parking in our neighborhood. So we had right. this kind of parking, this really severe parking issue from all three sides, like literally all three sides of the neighborhood. Um, and so uh, I worked to get the first residential permit parking program. So this was the first in, in Palo Alto, which now there's actually quite a few of them in our city. Um, and I've been very supportive since I was in the planning commission and city council. But um, uh, then um, there was opening in the planning commission um, and a lot of people encouraged me to uh, apply for that. So I did, uh, I got appointed, um, served uh, two terms. Um, and, um, you know, they're kind of like, my big thing was, um, uh, I don't know where you live, but um, you're familiar with California Avenue. I'm not sure if you remember, yep, you used to have sure. four lanes. Yeah, so it used to be four lanes of traffic, um, but it's a dead end, right? So it's kind of weird why it's four lanes. Uh, it used to be a three street, but now it's not, it's just the four lanes of traffic. And so one of the big things I worked on was the California Avenue streetscape was converting those four lanes to two lanes and then giving more parking along the sides. So that was kind of like my big uh, major program um, that I worked on. Applying. I did a lot of other stuff, but that was mm -hmm. the one, one thing that was really notable. Sure. And, um, and then I also served on the Infrastructure Blue Ribbon Commission, which is, um, uh, you know, at the time we had one of the, we didn't have very good like road conditions and we had a lot of infrastructure projects that were, were behind and we weren't keeping up on a lot of the maintenance and, there's a lot of issues with kind of um, the infrastructure side. So I, I served also on that commission. And um, 
and then a lot of people suggested that I go for city council. I had, I, I had a lot of people ask me actually quite a few times. And, and then finally in 2016, I decided to, um, to kind of, uh, uh, there's, there was so many people asking me that I decided that I would go for it. And so I got elected in 2016, started serving in 2017, um, currently now on, um, on my fourth year. So I served about three and a half years. Um, and, um, I'm, uh, uh, I'm currently finance chair of the finance committee on the, okay. and then I, I have a bunch of ad hoc committees I'm also on, but sure. yeah. Sure. Well, that's great. I mean, I, that, that's very helpful. So how, about how long have you been in Palo Alto now? Uh, we moved here in 2004. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, so I'm just to give you a little background. I mean, people watching already know this about me, but it's important for every webcast to have. Sure. Uh, so I was in uh, 30 years in San Francisco, grew up in Sacramento and Stockton. Mm. So I grew up in a very, different area of Stockton, which I don't know if you know much about Stockton. My family is um, off of the 8th Street exit, which you don't, most people tell you not to get off there, but that's okay. where my family was. So, um, and then I grew up partially in Sacramento in a upper middle class part of um, Sacramento and Greenhaven. My my mother worked for the um, uh, for the state and uh, was in, uh, did kind of political stuff with candidates for about 25 years. And mm -hmm. uh and then, uh, so I grew up in that kind of world and then moved to um, San Francisco and I pastored much, a bunch of churches and done a bunch of other kind of things. And then was called to serve First Presbyterian Church here a little over a year ago. So I'm, I'm pretty new. I'm still new. I'm, a, uh, I'm seeing this place with some new eyes. Um, I, there's certain parts about it that I love and getting to know. And there's certainly parts about it that I, I, I have some, raised some questions and I think there's some, you know, every, no community is perfect. Um, mm -hmm. It's always weird being the new person coming in going, well, what about this? And folks are like, well, you're new. And I'm like, well, it's okay. Anyway, my, so. My parents uh, are very apolitical. I mean, they, I got, to, I, mean, I, I told my dad in 2016 that, hey, you know, I'm running for city council. He donated to Hillary's campaign, Obama's campaign. I, I asked him, hey, can you donate to my campaign? Because you have to raise like 100K or so. Yeah, yeah. And my dad's like, no, I don't, I don't think Asians should be in politics. Like he feels like, he feels like, <laughs> like, like Asians are a guest in this country. And he, so he, he felt like. Oh, and because in, during World War II, if you're Japanese, if you're Japanese American, oh, yeah. you got put in prison, right? You didn't get oh, yeah. in prison yeah. camp, and, and so he yeah. just felt that we should keep our heads down, our mouth shut, work hard. And I'm like, you know, if more Asians were involved in politics, probably what happened, all the internments of the Japanese Americans probably would not have happened. So, but yeah. but he has this mentality that we're guests in this country, and it's like crazy sure. because we've been here since 1880. So, like, right, yeah. Well, I would say we've been here the 1700s because the Filipinos are the first to land in Louisiana. So yeah, we, yeah. Uh, my, I'm, I'm half Chinese, half Filipino. And so oh, okay. my Chinese Filipino are always in, in uh, debate about who got here first, but it's going to be my Filipino side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, uh, but, so I don't feel like, I don't feel like Asians are guests in the country, but my, my dad oh, yeah. thinks that we, sh we shouldn't be in politics. We should no. Yeah. And a lot of people still do. I mean, I think that generation, they come by it honestly, right? I mean, because if you engaged in that work, I mean, we know about our kind of giants of that time, you were like, you were threatened. And so I, but now I think you're absolutely right. It's like, okay, this is a day where we need to actually step into some of the space. So that that's great. So, well, let me ask you though, um, as I'm getting to know Palo Alto, you know, I, um, I'll start with the things I really like, right? I, I really, I, I, Sacramento, was a pretty suburban part where I grew up. And so I, I kind of like this again. It's, it's a little, I don't know if I'm getting older or what, but there's something about it that I've, 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 I've adjusted to and liked a little bit better and faster than I would have thought coming out of San Francisco. Um, I've gotten to know a bunch of the businesses. I, so I live, um, 
uh, on the south part, part on Kenneth, so near Greer, um, that kind of uh, area. So gotten to know, you know, I, I love I, my Phil's on Middlefield is my place. I have interviewed Brees there on my podcast. Uh, I found some great, you know, restaurants and all those kind of things. So I'm certainly getting to love it. But why do you love Palo Alto? I know your wife drew you back in some ways, but yeah, yeah. yeah why, do, why, do you, why do you like Palo Alto? Um, there's many, many reasons why I like Palo Alto. Um, first is the weather. So I grew up in Southern California in the San Fernando Valley. And I'm sure I've actually ever been to the San Fernando Valley in the summertime. Oh, yeah. But when I was a kid, we used to have these smog alert days where it, it, it kind of like, you know, today is kind of a, how, kind of how a things day. have switched for this for <laughs> season, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. San Fernando Valley was like an oven, like it got crazy hot and um it was incredible smog i mean there were, we had these smog alert days where as a kid we weren't supposed to go out to do pe because it was it was that yeah. bad it's like it's like beijing right it was like really really bad and the weather in palo alto is pretty much great all the time there's only a yeah. few days where it gets super hard but it's it's weather wise it's really hard to be it's not like san francisco where it's good like overcast a lot it's actually usually yeah. nice and sunny and the weather is great so it's the weather is really hard to beat and you know unlike other some parts like some southern parts the um it's not as hot. So I, I, the weather I think is, is really great. Uh, the second thing I really love about Palo Alto is the people. So I, I lived, lived in lots of different cities, right? From, you know, LA to, um, to uh, Pasadena, you know, for, for college and Berkeley and Sunnyvale, Malibu. I lived in lots of different cities. And, and you know, when we moved to Palo Alto, what was remarkable was um, our neighbors across the street, they're no longer there, but when they were there, they, they welcomed us. They, they held a little barbecue for us to welcome us to the neighborhood, mm. and um, you know, and that never happened to me before, ever in any other place I've lived. Uh, never happened to my wife before, and so we were incredibly touched. Right, the neighbors were really incredibly, I guess what you call neighborly, right? Really, mm-hmm. and and it just, it just kind of, um, and it, you know, I live in College Terrace, so it, it tends there's a, tends to be kind of a lot of younger families in our in our, our neighborhood, and and so the people have just been amazing, right? Um, and you have really, really smart people. You have people who are interested in the community. Uh, so to me, the people is the other part I really like about the city. It's just incredible okay. people. Um, and then I think the tech scene is really great. Um, so if, so I'm, I'm in the technology, my is in technology. And, you know, kind of like, like so for instance, my, when my dad retired, he became an extra in Hollywood, right? So he was in Minority Report, he was in Austin Power, he was in a bunch of different movies. And um, so if you want to be in movies, Hollywood's where you are, right? You know, yep. you're, you're a aspiring, aspiring scriptwriter or actor, producer, whatever. But um, in, in technology, right, it's pretty much Silicon Valley and Palo Alto is kind of like where it's at. Now, some of, the, some of that has migrated up to San Francisco, yeah. but still Palo Alto is um, still, you know, pretty significant. Um, although maybe less so than it was. And then the last part I really like is this convenient, right? I mean, it's, you have 281-01, you have Caltrain, a major Caltrain stop. I used to, when I go to San Francisco, I, I don't go there much anymore because of the shelter in place, but, sure. um, you know, I, I would take, I have an electric skateboard, so I would take it on to the train, you know, uh, I would ride from my house to, to the Caltrain station. You know, there's going to be a day we're going to be too old to ride that thing. And uh, I'm always well, worried when I see, Older guys riding like, okay, man, you're just one fall away from a hip replacement. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've wiped out several times. And so, um, like, I, I was going Look around you. That car you're driving. That house your family lives in. Making your daughter laugh. Inspiring her to dream. You did that. Teaching your son to drive. Teaching him he can be anything. All you. And your dreams for tomorrow. 
You'll do that too. Legacies don't just happen, they are made by you. The important word being you. American Family Insurance, protecting your dreams as you achieve them. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Products not available in every state. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies. American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I went down on Sun Hill Road once. Um, so I had an investor meeting on Sun Hill Road and I was going down. And then my remote control on the skateboard disconnected. And, and I, you know... I don't know how to hockey stop, you know, like, you know, on a snowboard. Yeah, you kind of no, this is why I, you I shouldn't be on it is what I do. This makes so anyway, I, I, I totally wiped out. And uh, yeah, my, my wife tells me as well. But, but so for me, the reason why I do it though, is because I, I um, you know, we're, we're about 8 billion people on earth right now. Right. And we talk about global warming, right? We had some of the record temperatures here in, in Palo Alto. And, you know, if we all have the American size carbon footprint, right. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you got to think about like Spaceship Earth, you know, where sure. there's sure. only so many resources available. And, and so I think everyone needs to do their part. And so for me, I, that's why I do it is because I could, with the electric skateboard, I could, I could um, take public transit, you got Caltrain, and I can almost rarely drive my car. In rain or shine, when I go to council meetings, I bike or skateboard or I, I ride my scooter. And so I, I think to me, it's important to walk the talk. You know, a lot of people talk about the environment, but very people actually are willing to do what it takes to um to you know try to actually have an impact on the environment and so i like for my house i i did a lot of green building type techniques spray foam insulation thermal flywheels solar chimneys a bunch of different yeah. things that that just for me i i kind of i i believe that we have to take care of this planet and so i i've done a lot in this regards and very few well, but very few people are willing to to do things that personally impact their life to make it like yeah. so for the transportation one of the biggest um, sources of greenhouse gas in our city that very few people will give up their cars right yeah. to to try to you know make a dent in it and so so for me i that's that's why i do it's just because I, environmentally it's well, way better I, 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 th- I think it's great. I think it's also a great, like, uh, so I'm a motorcycle rider. So I have motorcycle and scooters. So I, I'm, I have very little room to talk about safety and all that sure. kind of stuff. But I remember I went to a, uh, I was at the spiritual director one time and, and uh, she was telling me that, you know, it feels like riding your motorcycle is like a spiritual discipline because when you're on a motorcycle, you have to be so aware of your surroundings. Like it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong. Yeah. You need to know where yeah. everybody is. I told that to my wife. She's like, well, I get that that's true, but it also sounds like a justification for doing something you still want to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's two things can be true at the same time. So yeah, just my, don't my, get hurt. Just be careful. You know, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my wife tells, tells me I'm too old for this kind of stuff, but, <laughs> but, yeah, but see, well, I, I used to try to, when I went to go to SF, I used to drive up the traffic, oh, yeah. parking, big prom. Oh, so yeah. then I would take Caltrain up right on that with my, I have a 10 speed. But the problem is, is like sometimes on Caltrain, you get bounced, you know, because there's too many bikes, especially in rush hour. So, so then I got a floating bike, which is really nice. But the problem is, right. is that, um, it's, that it's, it's kind of a nice bike and I'm worried about getting stolen. So I have to carry it with me, right? <laughs> and it's kind of heavy to carry it. And then I found the electric skateboard is like the coolest thing because it gets you where you want to go pretty fast <laughs> and you can carry it. You know, no need to like, it's like, I also go to New York for my business and I, I'll, I'll do like day trips to New York. I bring my, my electric skateboard on the, on the overhead, right? And then in Manhattan, it's the fastest way to get around. It's faster than Ubers, faster than taxis, faster than subways. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's just, it's the way to roll. So it's, it's, um, and so it, it's, it's, it's first, first of all, it's convenient <laughs> and it's environmentally friendly. So. Well, just assume you don't own stock in any uh, skateboard companies and no. this is just a, <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let's, you know, um, uh, again, people are like, okay, guys, stop talking about your toys. Um, but what are you, so let me ask you, what are you, what do you think are the future challenges for Palo Alto then? As you're, you've been on the council now, you've lived here, obviously, you're running again. What do you think are the, some of the future challenges? And after that, we'll kind of get to some specifics. But in general, what do you think are some of our things that we're, we're needing to work on? Yeah, you know, um, so, you know, I have two kids in the school district right now, you know, work full time. Um, really actually incredibly busy. And so council is just another thing that's really, really busy. And um, so I thought really like long and hard, you know, should I run again or not? And, um, you know, the thing that kind of tipped over for me is COVID, right? The economic recession we're going through. So it's a recession like we've never seen before, right? It's probably the worst since the Great Depression. Um, you know, you look at the GDP, the drop of our GDP growth, gross domestic product, you look at the amount of unemployment. I look at the number of friends and neighbors that have taken pay cuts, that have lost their jobs. Um, I know a number of people, I hold, I hold regular office hours every Sunday. Um, the number of people that have talked to me about not being able to pay their rent, pay their mortgage, um, business owners who struggle to pay their utility bills. I mean, it is like, it is, it is super bad news right now. I mean, it is, it is, it is really rough times. And so when I was thinking about, should I run again or not? I've been thinking about this backdrop, right? This incredibly painful recession that we're going through. Um, we were all hoping for a quick V-shaped recovery, right? We were all hoping that, sure. you know, I could have talked to you in person right now, yep. but it's not like that, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's still rough, right? I mean, it's um, the, the amount of economic devastation happening is we're still at the, because this thing is like a chain reaction. It's like, yep. it's just cascading throughout the whole economy. Um, and, and so, to me, it was like, should I step up or not? And so I, on council, I'm, I'm you know, because, because of my upbringing, right? I had a single, I grew up with a single parent, um, grew up kind of in a poor area of, of, of LA. Um, so I've always been very frugal. I mean, I, I mean, we, I, I don't, I'm not rich, but we, the reason why we got the policy is because I'm a pretty good saver. I'm very frugal. Um, and so personally, I'm very frugal. And, and so on council, I'm known as being very frugal, right? I try not to waste taxpayer dollars. Uh, I know that there's some people that feel like, oh, everyone in Napolito is rich and, you know, we could keep taxing people and raising the fees and no big deal and people could afford it. But, you know, for me, I, I came from very little and very, 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 very modest upbringing. And, um, you know, money was always scarce in my household. And so I kind of grew up with that kind of, um, that kind of upbringing, right? To not waste, to, to make sure that what you spend is, is really needed. And so I have, I've had that discipline on council. In fact, I may be the only one that has that discipline on council. It may be the only one of the candidates that has. And so in times when we are going through this economic hardship, when I'm not sure you saw, but it's just our general fund, which is our general fund is like $200 million. Or so a total amount of budget is like 700 million, but just, just a small general fund by itself, $40 million haircut in revenue, right? Um, so in terms of trying to do more with, with less, I think I'm probably the, the best positioned. I mean, I certainly I from people I know on council. I don't know the other candidates as well, but from people on council, certainly I'm, I'm, I'm by far the most uh, fiscally conscious or responsible or frugal, mm -hmm. or however you want to say it. And so I felt that you know I would probably be better than just about anyone else I know in terms of trying to help navigate the city during these during these tough times. Because I, 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 I try not to waste money on council, right? So like. They want to spend one dollars on marketing graphics for utility bills. Like I, I don't think so, right? I think it's probably better to have more library hours or, or more community service. But the, the second thing that kind of uh, motivated me was the um, 
so many local businesses are, are failing. They look at the restaurants, look at the retailers. There's a, some projections out there that 50, 60% of the local businesses here are going to go under forever. They're never going to come back. And um, so my, my business is I, I do uh, uh, retail analytics for physical retailers. So I know a lot. I've been doing that for the past eight years. So I know a lot about retail, like way more, way more than just about anyone else I know, you know, accounts or even that's running. So this is, this is kind of like my area. Um, and so this is one of the reasons why I pushed um, early on for small business grants for the local businesses. And also why I pushed really hard for the parklets and, um, and for the, you know, partial street closures and right. stuff is because the, the restaurants, they can't operate. The margins on them is like typically less right. than 5%. And if they only try to survive on takeout, they're not going to make it. So they need this, they need the space on the street. And so that's why I, I, I was one of the early ones who really pushed for this hard because of, um, I knew that these guys aren't going to make it. So for me, the, the, the other part is the recovery plan. How do we, how do we ensure that, um, the vibrancy that we had, the, the services that we had, that the local businesses provide to community are still available. So to me, it's, it's kind of navigating this, these economic hardships, helping the people, the people that live in our city that are struggling. I know people that have moved out of our city because they can't afford it anymore, right? Just sure. with COVID on top of just the high cost of everything. And it's, it's, really, um, it's really tragic, right? Because we, we're losing some of the social economic diversity. All right. Well, let's let's um, just let's jump to some specifics. We'll talk about some things. But remember, those of you that are listening, um, you know, I'm asking the same questions to each candidate and rely on you all who are listening to kind of uh, spread that out. I, I think some of you have been on all of the calls. Other ones are a uh, little, uh, you know, been on sporadic ones, but use the Q&A, ask your questions about uh, that you might want to know. And, you know, as somebody as a as a uh, an incumbent, you actually have a track record that folks can ask about and some of those kind of things. So yeah. feel free to put, start putting those in the Q&A. But um, as I've told people, we're going to start with an easy one, right? Let's talk about institutional racism and policing, right? Yeah. Just yeah. light. Um, and, you know, there's lots of conversations around reform, you know, eight can't wait, abolition, yeah. fund or, or reallocate, abolish, all those kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about where you are on all of this, kind of what's, what's been, if folks wanted to know and, and find, you know, each candidate to talk about that a little bit, where, what are your thoughts on, on everything that's been going on around institutional racism policing and, and how yeah. we're responding? Well, you know, my dad would tell me stories after World War II. So after he left the internment camps, um, he was like 11, you know, pretty young kid at the time. And just incredible anti-Japanese sentiment in California was just off the charts, right? So you're Japanese, in California, it was super bad news. And I remember growing up, um, we were pretty poor. So when we would visit my uncle, we drove up from LA to Seattle. And I remember like when we drive to certain, certain towns, like my dad would get pulled for some just driving while Asian, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that happens as much these days, but it was happening when I was a kid. So I remember my dad just being terrified, right? When you get pulled, I, I can just imagine. And, and so I've been hearing a lot of African-Americans the same issue, right? And it's just driving all black. It's like, yep. what, what's up with that? Um, even for me recently, so at the start of COVID, I was biking along Middlefield on this Middlefield and East, East Meadow and stopped at a light and this white minivan pulled up next to me, full of young white guys. And they started yelling at me like, hey, you know, why'd you bring the COVID here? Or, or, or you know, like, where's your mask? And this is back in March, right? This is before we were right, wearing right. masks. And, you know, I, when I was growing up, I also felt this kind of racism. I used to get beat up going to school just because I'm, I'm Asian. Um, but, and also it's kind of a rough neighborhood, but but I haven't, I never experienced that here in Palo Alto, but in March when this whole, this, you know, when this one, it, it was like, it came from China and there's kind of this anti-Chinese, anti-Asian sentiment. It's like, wow, you know, I, I thought I moved to Palo Alto to avoid this. I never, 
expected that in our city, we would, I would and, and, and God, I'm on the city council too, right? So, and so we have to get Don't you know who I, I mean, I'm sure there's part of some of your head going, I, don't you know who I am? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I, I never say that. All right, they but, don't but, care, right? Doesn't well, matter. They, 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 don't, they don't care. And, you know, also I, I learned early on, like, as a kid, like if, if there's five of them and there's one of you, you don't confront people. I mean, <laughs> You, you you get totally like well, that's the that's the off. smart move. Not everybody adheres. So, yeah, so I, I didn't confront them, but it's just I just try to stay quiet and hope for that life to change as quickly as possible. But it's like God, this is March and this is twenty twenty, and like mm. like I thought people in our city are educated, right? I, it, it just it was very disconcerting. I never I I haven't felt that kind of racism since you know since I lived in L.A. Right? I I mm-hmm. so since it's been many many years, decades since I've experienced that and. You know, my kids growing up here in our city don't experience that at all. So, you know, when when um, the whole George Floyd stuff started happening, right, it kind of raised the profile of all this. And um, and so there's there's been excessive force claims and other kind of you know charges of racism in in the in the in the police department. Um, I think on the one hand, I, I would say that. Um, in general, we have a fairly good crime rate. So it looks like the police are, are doing a fairly decent job. Although, you know, the number of car break-ins have been rising and so that's something that needs to be fixed. But in general, it seems like most people think the police department is doing pretty good. But there are these kind of cases that come up, right? And it, and it costs us quite a bit in settlements that, um, you know, makes you wonder, can we, can this be better? So I'm, I'm actually part of a ad hoc committee with Council Member Nis, where we're looking at, different structure. So one really interesting thing that's happening with um, the whole George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and is, is that there's a lot of police departments around the country that are restructuring, that are changing, right? Like Berkeley, they're having unarmed people, uh, unarmed officers do traffic stops. Or you look at Eugene, Oregon with the CAHOOTS program. Or you look at Sunnyville, they have this joint fire, police, kind of medic type of um, role. And what's interesting is there's going to be like, you know, that, you heard the expression, thousand flowers bloom, right? So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, there's a lot of these experiments in terms of how do you deliver public safety effectively and without bias. And to me, it's going to be really interesting to see over the next few years how, how the, these different experiments play out. Um, so, you know, we've been trying to look at like, okay, so with the Eugene, Oregon, you know, cahoots, how does mm-hmm. that um, how does that, um, you know, are there more claims of excessive force or less claims, right? Or like with Sunnyville, right? So they have um, a police officer that has a, a fire jacket in the, in the trunk of his car so that if there's a fire, he could just put a jacket on. It's like Superman. He could, ja- he could become a, a police officer to a firefighter. And the whole idea behind that is you get some shared resources. But the other thing that's really important is you get, um, you get, uh, um, the, the, the people delivering the services have different perspectives, right? They're not just a person carrying a gun and enforcing law. They're a person also trying to save people from fires or medics or whatever, whatever that might be. Right. So it kind of, it kind of avoids, I'm not sure you heard of the Stanford prison experiment. So mm-hmm. decades ago, there was, uh, they had undergrads or students pretending to be prison guards and prisoners. And then they had to cut the office experiment because people started abusing people. Right. And so, so the, the whole Sunnyvale idea is by kind of rotating. DQ presents. 
Picture this. Picture the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu with iconic flavors that taste like instant summer. You order the one and only drumstick blizzard with peanuts. Oh, wow. Crunchy waffle cone pieces, world-famous DQ soft serve, and blue sky bliss. Or maybe you get the brownie batter blizzard. Ooh-wee. Fudgy brownie goodness. You're feeling breezy and dreamy all over. Moments like these are why the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu exists. Get it delivered at DQ.com. DQ. Happy tastes good. DQ presents... Picture this. Picture the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu with iconic flavors that taste like instant summer. You order the one and only drumstick blizzard with peanuts. Oh, wow. Crunchy waffle cone pieces, world-famous DQ soft serve, and blue sky bliss. Or maybe you get the brownie batter blizzard. Ooh-wee. Fudgy brownie goodness. You're feeling breezy and dreamy all over. Moments like these are why the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu exists. Get it delivered at DQ.com. DQ. Happy tastes good. People through different perspectives you kind of avoid the separate prison experiment idea. Um, so, but the, the, but the big challenge right now, I think, and, and something which I've been pushing for is a lack of clean data. So I, I tried to compare, or my office tried to compare um, uh, Sunnyvale's uh, excessive force claims against Palo Alto, right? And either Sunnyvale doesn't have any, right? Or they don't report it, or we can't find it. Um, and right. so it's hard, it does not, it's hard to actually compare these different, these different, um, models against each other because there's not really good data that or really accessible data that we could use to compare like which, what's truly right. more effective or not effective. Right. Well, there's been there's been some data being thrown around though that about the, around that if you're black in Palo Alto, you, the percentages, the chances of you being uh, pulled over, arrested are much higher than if you were not black. And mm. and you know I think that is something that um, you know I come out of San Francisco. You know, our our city is an eight can't wait city, but that doesn't mean anything. I've been on the I've been on the wrong side of a baton more than once, and um, you know, I I think the one thing that I I really enjoy about Palo Alto and the possibilities is because we're still pretty small. I mean, relatively speaking, right? And so the opportunity for these laboratory kind of things, like cahoots or some other kinds of things, you know, I kind of think because folks are thoughtful here, generally speaking, that um, we might have some possible things with the right data and thoughtful program that, yeah. that we could have some potential pieces for it. But I mean, I, I that, so, I mean, I think, I mean, it's helpful. I mean, I, 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 I would want to keep pushing on our police department to figure out how, you know, as, as a lot of people talk about it, it's the one bad apple, it's the one thing, but you know, when yeah. you're talking about police, it's, it's hard to justify the one bad, right? Because oh. it's just life or death. It's not, something else so um but yeah i mean i think this has been an, uh, an interesting uh, time for palo alto because when i and i came in here you know the processions of palo alto are not always positive from you know outside palo alto and figuring out how do we go about changing those perceptions now that i'm here um and it's my city and that's one of them is that this is a pretty white asian mm. upper middle class you know wealth is all relative kind of place um and, you know, so a lot of my friends, uh, you know, Latino, Latinx and black have a very different experience of Palo Alto, which mm. is, is unfortunate. But um, mm. yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you're on that. I'm, I'm glad you're pushing. Everybody's talked about Kahoot so far. So I suspect that there's some like it's, there's going to be something well, there's actually, which I think is great. A lot of, there's actually a ton of models out there. Um, yeah. the problem, and, and this is why I've pushed and, and the city manager said he's going to participate with like the Stanford Open Data Project. We're just trying to collect data from lots of different police departments. Because like, for instance, I want to do something really simple like, okay, so we, we know some of the, 
we have some of the data ourselves, but it's hard to compare against other cities. So like, does Eugene, Oregon have less um, excessive force claims or do they have less reports of excessive force or less of, you know, police abuse? Or does, does Sunnyvale have it, right? And it's hard because, because the problem, the data is not very standardized. It's not easily accessible. Sure, it's hard sure. to, you want to be able to make an apples to apples comparison because I don't think we want to just change for the sake of changing. We want to change, change make changes that we know are going to work and be better, right? So, and then, so to do that, we need, we need like, to me, you need some of this comparative data. Yeah. Well, I think some would say that's part of, part of the problem with policing across the, across the United States, right? Is that everybody basically gets to do whatever they want. And there isn't this standardized understanding of how we are supposed to be, which then allows, it's more difficult than to figure out what do we do if there isn't yeah. a standardized policy. Anyway, let's keep going because yeah, we got, yeah. oh, we're already at 130. So let's talk about housing, another light topic that I know uh, um, everybody is interested, both yeah. about density, housing, and affordability, affordable housing, all that. So yeah. we're just muse a little bit on your ideas about housing, affordable housing, density, all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think the one thing that a lot of people haven't talked about, but they really should is, um, uh, where are our housing prices right now? So, um, so the housing prices actually in, in Palo Alto peaked in 2018, and they've been falling ever since. And um, and with COVID, I don't know how what's going to happen, but it's 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 looking like it's dropping more. I mean, the, the house right next to me uh, was listed for three million. It sold for two million, right? That's a 33 percent haircut right there. Which again is all relative. It's all relative. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's all relative. But you know, I I I, I think. Um, I think rents may be falling too. It's hard to say. But yeah. I know that there's certainly a lot more. Um, so, so one of the, in, in terms of affordable, so, so I, I like to expand your question from just affordable mm-hmm. housing to affordability, because I think sure. it's actually an affordability issue in our city. There's, and, and, and housing is one portion of that affordability, but the other parts of it is like, do you look, like we bought um, some two pizzas, okay? just regular sized pizzas. It's like almost $90. Okay. So, so food here is also really, really expensive. Oh yeah. It's, it's outrageous for, and I, I, I don't want to bash my new city, Yeah, but for the cost, like there's some good food, but it's not like no, it's hundred not, it's dollar not, a meal. Good. Food. <laughs> like if, yeah, if you were in San Francisco, I'd be like a hundred dollars. I'm going down to my local hole in the wall and like buy yeah. it for a week. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, so, I hear you that actually, when we moved here, people said to us, the first thing that's going to surprise you is eating. Like yeah. that will be the number one, and I'm yeah. totally true, totally yeah. true. So, anyway, so, sorry, go, keep going. Yeah, so, so affordability, in the, in the scope of affordability, the housing costs, which is one thing, and housing costs right now is dropping because of, of the deep recession we're going through, or some call, people call it a depression. Um, food, food's really expensive, right? And um, it, which is a little bit crazy, but you know, for the, a lot of the restaurants, they're barely making anyways, even with the high sure. cost of, of food. Um, and then you look at our utility bills, right? Um, you know, for residential, it's not so bad. It's probably comparable to other cities around here. Although we own our own utilities, which directly should, right. our utilities should be even lower because we have all this, you know, we have billions of dollars in our utility infrastructure. So it's like buying a house versus owning a house. I mean, sorry, buying a house versus renting a house. You know, renting, you should be paying more than you buy a house because you pay all that principal onto the house. But in, if, in our case, our utility rates are still relatively high given the fact that we even own our own utilities. Um, and then if on the commercial side, it's off the charts. Our commercial rates are incredibly high um, relative to other cities. And um, so there's a, there's a pretty big affordability issue in general in our city. So, um, so in terms of affordable housing, right, which is the first part of the affordability issue, um, 
so part of that's been corrected right now just by the economic recession. And I know people, because of all the work from home that are moving out of the city, they say, well, you can work from anywhere. Then heck, I'm going to, I'm going to move to Austin or wherever mm-hmm. and get three times the house for half the price. Right. So that's, that's starting to happen. Um, and, um, and then, um, so that's one angle is just the demand side. So the demand side, because of the recession, because people losing their jobs, because people taking pay cuts, because people moving out because of work, work from home, um, because of companies moving out, like you heard like talenters moving out. So some of the demand side is getting, getting corrected just because of that. Then we've got to talk about the supply side. Supply side, um, our city has a pretty um, uh, Byzantine type of entitlement process. So it's really hard to get approval here, right? Um, and then we had, we charge, you know, relatively high impact fees. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of um, challenges with getting approval for projects. Um, so some of the projects I supported was like Wilton Court, which was affordable housing for the uh, developing disabled. Um, so, and we, we put a lot of money behind that as a city as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like the Windy Hill project on uh, El, El Camino and Page Mill, the Mike's Bike project. So there's a bunch of projects that I helped push forward, but, but in general, um, so, there's an, there, there's an organization called the Palo Alto Housing Corporation, and they're trying to build affordable housing. And they literally changed, they changed, they literally changed their name from Palo Alto Housing Corporation to something else because they couldn't really, really they couldn't, it's really hard to build here in our city. So they, they, they said, well, we shouldn't call Palo Alto Housing Corporation because we built everywhere but Palo Alto, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's, that's kind of like the challenges on the supply side. Um, and then um, if you look at the other areas of affordability, like um, the, f- the cost of food, um, it is astounding, like you said, right? I mean, these, the pizzas I got were nothing special, right? They, I mean, I, <laughs> we, I, won't, I, we won't say any names of businesses, but right, we'll just like, it's like, oh, yeah. it's a pizza. Yeah, yeah it's, just, yeah. A, it's just, just a pizza, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't terribly the best pizza I've had either. So, but, um, but you have that and then you, you, you totally rate. So, you know, I, um, I know there was a proposal to raise the fees or to have a, a tax or some sort of COVID fee on top of the food we pay. And, you know, I, I think it's all perspective. I think, you know, like for myself, my own business, you know, because we sell the physical retails, I took a big pay cut, right? A really, really big pay sure. cut. And I know a lot of people have. My neighbors are doctors and they took a pay cut, right? So a lot of people, I mean, I think Snap took 30%. I mean, everyone around here has been taking pay cuts, right? And I know some people haven't. Some people here are truly wealthy and some people here are totally insulated from what's been happening. But I haven't. My family hasn't been. I know a lot of people who haven't been. I've, I've had office hours with people who just are in tears about how tough it is just trying to... People are here by the skin of their teeth. And for them to have a tax or some sort of fee, some sort of COVID surcharge on top of, you know, a $90 pizza, it's just... I mean, people want to go out and try to help the local businesses. But... Right. I think if local businesses want to do that, or people want to tip extra, then that's their business. But some people are scraping by. Some people took pay cuts. Some people lost their jobs. Some people can't pay their rent. Some people can't pay the mortgage. So I don't know whether it makes sense. And so that's why I wasn't really a big fan of having a surcharge on top of, uh, and, and plus I, I think I might discourage people from going out to eat, which hurts our local business more. And also it would, um, it would, probably take away from the waiters, from the, from, from the servers, because a lot of people, if, I, if, they're, if they're putting a surcharge on them, people may tip less, right? right. So right. I, 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 and I, when I talked to a lot of the local restaurants, they're not a big fan of having some sort of surcharge right. on, top of, on top of this. And, and it just hurts the affordability issue. But then utility rates, you know, we've had, I, I, were you here last year or no? No. No, okay. So 
for the past, you know, three, four years, we've been having double digit uh, rate increases on our utility rates. You know, inflation's only been like 3%, right? So you got to imagine like double digit rate increases is pretty astounding, right? right? Um, and so like, just give you a point of reference. So like, you know, the black trash can, the low black trash can, sure. it's like $50 here in our city. In Mountain View, it's like $35 or $34, right? Same size trash can. Why is, why is our $50 and there's $34, right? Like, right. like just one city over. It's just, you know, like, why is that, right? So, um, and so, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, there's a lot of people who are retired who are on fixed income. Um, and, you know, what about them? You know, I, I, there's a perception. And there are, there are incredibly wealthy people in our city. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I get that. But there are a lot of people who are not super wealthy, right? Um, you know, I had one of my, my kids' uh, friends tell me that, you know, the, the, their parents lost their job and the utility rates are going up. And, there's, and, and then, you know, PI, which is the parents' the education fund thing yes, oh, yeah. success. yeah and, and, they, and they asked for more money right and like you know they're out of work and like so they like i'm not, I'm not they're not going to donate two pi this year just they can't afford it right so i i think there's a huge affordability issue and and a lot of people like to talk about it, it's a little bit embarrassing right if everyone's embarrassed oh i lost my job or i took a pay cut um or that i'm, I'm having I'm having hard times but a lot of people are and, and this recession unfortunately it looks like it's just starting right now and so it's it's pretty devastating. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to move because of their kids in the school, right? And a lot of people <laughs> and the weather. Are here. A lot of people here are because yep. of the great schools. And so they, they will do everything for their kids to be here. And, and it's like, um, I, I feel for them. I mean, I know these parents and I, I feel for them. And I, I, sure. I just, I just don't think the attitude that everyone's rich in Palo Alto. So we could just tax the hell out of everyone is, is the right attitude. I don't think that's true. I know it's not true in my family's case. I know it's tr- not right. true in a lot of people's cases. Well, no, I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, everybody. I, I will. I, I'm still it's coming from an outsider. I will say there is a there is a general vibe here that is different than other parts of of, of California, and especially yeah. in San Francisco or Stockton or yeah. other well, things. I guess, um, I guess for me, but for me, if people are, are able to give and able to spend money for the local business, able to donate, they should, and they can, yeah. and they, they should and, and they should try to help us. But to mandate that people, like, let's right. say you want to sure. help your local pizzeria, and instead your pizza costing, you know. $90, now $100, right? And it's like, well, maybe the parents said, well, maybe we're not going to go out to eat tonight. Maybe because we need to buy school supplies, right? Or maybe because I want to donate to the school so that, you know, I, I just think, I think, I think our community is incredibly generous. I mean, one of the most generous communities I've ever been in. Um, and I think making, making, making it an option as, as a donation is one thing, but making it as a mandate where everyone's going to pay more, right? So our, our, our gas rates are going up, right? 3%. And while that might not sound a lot, you know, See, it's supposed to be indexed to CPI, consumer price index. CPI actually went down, right? So our gas rates should be going down, not going up. And then for 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 the restaurants, you know, I know I know one restauranter. This is going to be five hundred dollars extra a month for him, right? I mean, he's paying twenty three for three restaurants. He's paying twenty three thousand dollars in utility bills. So this is five hundred dollars extra, and he's already losing money. He, I mean, yeah. so it's like, so he's losing money, and he's making him lose even five hundred dollars a month more a month. I mean, what's the what's the what's the rationale right. and logic behind that, right? Well, well, let me, let me, let me, we're going to, I want to steer us back to looking at, at actual housing. And I think, cause yeah. I think one of the things that I've noticed is around um, a lot of conversations around density, about neighborhoods, about what we're willing to do to get more housing for yeah. the, like similar to San Francisco, right? You have so many people that come in here to work during the week who don't live here yeah. and who might want to, for all the reasons yeah. that we've kind of talked yeah. about. So what are your th- thoughts around it? And, and I've always kind of like, wait, this is a council. You can change things, right? You all can decide yeah. what you want to do. I know that's very simplistic, but 
So how, how do you think we address more affordable housing, uh, even middle income housing? I mean, it's all, again, relative. Affordable housing, housing density. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, as an outsider, it does yeah. feel like there's kind of an anti-growth kind of vibe. And I, and I wonder where that comes from and how does housing then fit into a, a continual pressure that people want to live here? And yeah. people are using our services and all that. So talk yeah. a little bit about specifics around housing that, that you think around well, the future. First of all, I, I believe it's a good thing that people want to live here, right? Because I think if people don't want to live here, then it probably means things are pretty bad in the city. And, um, and that's not good. Sure. So I think, I think it's good that people want to live here because that's desirable. And I don't think we want to do things to make it less desirable, right? We don't want to make it like the place where I grew up, right? So, sorry, right. That, so that, I don't, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the right solution. So, um, so, um, you know, I think the entitlement process is, like I said, really puts a lot, a lot. I mean, so if I compare from when I was on the planning commission, so I served on the planning commission before and compared to with city council, the number of projects we've seen on city council is almost nothing compared to what I saw on the planning commission like years before. So a lot of people don't even come here to even want to develop. I mean, people, a lot of people are fretting about like, oh my God, too much development in our city. And there's a lot of construction, don't get me wrong, there's people who are rebuilding buildings. Sure. But if you look at new entitlements, like new square footage in our city, it's relatively compared to when I when I was on a planning commission. There's relatively little. So developers, I mean, we are no longer the place to be to develop things anymore. So so if you look at Redwood City, you look at Mountain View, you look at a lot of other Menlo Park, you see a lot of new development, like new square footage being added, there, but not not in Palo Alto, relatively little. Um, and um, so so one problem one problem is the entitlement process, right? It's really uncertain. It's really you know, we've, we've become like a incredibly, um, you know, for, for most developers, incredibly um, uh, anti-development type of place. So, so there's just not that many projects, period, on uh, coming before us anymore. Um, and then, um, you know, the other thing is you talked about, like, you know, a lot of people coming into our city. And that's another issue, issue which, which is with COVID, that's actually not happening, right? No, so, that's, well, that is true. That is, I guess, that, this, this season, and then who knows what that's going to be long-term, right? Well, How that's, that's going to impact us. That's also a question a lot of local businesses, right? Like the sales tax yep. that we've got, the catering, the the restaurants. I mean, we're also getting crushed there. And then sure. also the, the utility bills, right? So our, the, the commercial rates are, are, are kind of artificially higher to give better rates for our, our residents. And so we don't get that revenue either, right? So there's a yep. there's kind of like a double, triple, triple whammy hap, happening, right? But to me, the, you know, if you want to have more affordable housing, so one, one thing you have to look at is um, if you look at the average size of the American home, this has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? If you look at like previous decades, um, even from when I grew up till, till now, right? The, houses, the average house size for the, for the average American family is bigger and bigger and bigger. I think you look at the average family size, it's getting smaller, right? So yeah. the average, average family size is getting smaller and the average house size is getting bigger, right? So so you got to think, well, welcome, gee, to, welcome to America, right? I mean, that yeah. seems like a very American, like well, it, whether you need, whether well, you need it at our, or not, we're going to build it bigger. Anyway, well, imagine, that's just, imagine, <laughs> imagine we bought cars, we, we buy houses, right? Where, you know, we buy, we want a bigger, bigger car, right? Even though, you know, we will all be driving like gigantic, gigantic cars. Right, right. I, I think the other, the other reality is I don't think a bigger house means bigger happiness, right? And sure. I don't know whether, you know, um, because I, I, I've seen, and I've been a pretty big fan of these micro units because the easiest way, okay, so what we did with Wilton Court was we shoveled in tens of millions of dollars into that project to make it affordable, right? Um, right. And, and then there's a lot of grants and other stuff happening to make that one make that one happen. But there's, I mean, affordable housing because it's so low development right now, 
affordable housing fund is basically dried up. It's basically zero. We, we, we emptied it out on Buena Vista and on Wilton Court. So we don't really have much money left in our affordable housing fund. And there hasn't been a new development that which, which would have replenished affordable housing. So the one way to create natural affordable housing, what I mean natural affordable housing, affordable housing that's, that's, that's naturally affordable is what we call micro units or smaller units. So if you look at um, like in other cities, right? They're, they're having these units that are much smaller than, than your usual size units. And because the cost is really per square foot, right? right. If you don't have such a big unit, it's much more affordable. Um, and I think that is something that needs to be looked at more closely, right? Mm. I think um, that one doesn't need humongous government subsidies, right? Um, it, it's something which is naturally affordable because of the size. And I, th I think the other part that I think is important is, um, is um, you know, so like I started with a, start out with, start out with, I didn't, like, I didn't grow up in Paul. I grew up in a very poor part of California. And, and I, I luckily made it here because of hard work and education, all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I actually think being poor is not a attribute of you, of a, of a person. It's not a permanent attribute. It's not something which you can't change. So I, I think also my mind about affordable housing is that, you know, I think affordable rental housing is actually more important because I think people a lot of time need a stepping, need a helping hand, right? Like my family growing up, uh, we got some help from the government for, for to get our house. And um, so people, when they start out, need a helping hand, but people are hopefully are not poor forever. Hopefully we give them the tools, the education, um, so they could actually, you know, you know, go beyond where they are right okay. now. And so I think I'm that's gonna, something to think about is that I don't okay. think, I don't think, I don't think being poor is a permanent, just because of my own background, I don't think being poor is sure. a permanent. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a whole other podcast we can talk about uh, and around poverty and what that looks like and all those yeah. kind of things. Anyway, so um, we're running, we're starting to get out of time here, but I, I want to make sure that um, we get some questions from folks. So if you are watching this and you want to make sure these questions are, are asked. So um, what we do, Greg, is I read them because if folks are listening afterwards um, and you can actually see them as well. So Margaret is asking, how do you approach thinking about the rail crossing options for the future? What are some key factors that are going into your thinking there from Margaret? Yeah, good question, Margaret. Um, so this is probably one of the, you know, this is not just a generational project. This is probably three generations. So whatever you do on the great separations can be with us for, for some time. So it's a very big question. Um, you know, I, I think um, Caltrain has been one of the key, kind of like the spine of the spine of the transportation for us. And you know, to not have this crazy bad traffic and parking, you need Caltrain uh, or something like it. Now, for the great separations, um, you know, the, a lot of that motivation had to do with electrification because there were going to be a lot more trains running. Now, I, I'm not sure you heard much about the ridership of Caltrain, but it's plummeted. It's oh yeah, like, sure, sure. They're looking. They're looking to you know, do some sort of tax increase to keep it running, right? Um, and so I think, it, to me, it's not, it's unclear whether the train's gonna run as frequently as it, as it did. I don't know financially, if, if, you know, if they can. Right. Um, so one side, it, the bright side is it probably gives us more time to figure it out, which is kind of the bright side. The flip side is maybe this is a good time to do this project because maybe there'll be a bunch of federal stimulus dollars to help fund mm. the separation, right? Um, but you know, like with the Trump administration, there has Trump's not a big fan of giving dollars to California. So depending yeah, on exactly. who, depending on who wins, right, the White House, I don't know whether if, if it's Trump's wins, probably 
there's probably not going to be money to do much, much gigantic infrastructure projects like this. If right. Biden wins, who knows, right? But, you know, the whole economic system is collapsing right now. So it's hard to say how much we are we going to afford and do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's from the practical point of view of can we even do it, right? Right. The other thing that's kind of interesting also is, you know, the ridership is down a lot. I mean, one thing I floated by a lot of people is, would now be, if we actually knew what we wanted to do, would now be the good time to do it? Because one reason why it's so expensive to do these great separations is like tra- trying to change the wheel of your car as a car well, is running. running. Yeah, it's, sure. really, it's really hard. But if you could do it when the train shut down, it's, it's basically shut down now. I mean, there's, right. there's a handful of people riding it right now. And, um, and so, you know, maybe what makes sense is for us to do the great separations now, while there's not a lot of ridership, right? And because it's not like there's gonna be a lot of traffic, a lot of people working from home still, right? So that's another thing to think about. Now, in terms of the particular intersections, in terms of what, what should be done for each intersection, my, my thought would be, um, would be, I mean, the thing I really wanted was kind of like, whenever, you know, if you look at most other places when they, you're, you're doing transit through expensive areas or where the land value is very expensive, you do underground, right? You, you underground. Right. But it's, it's, it's really expensive to do that. Um, and of course, it's really expensive to do that when a train's operating. Now, if the train doesn't have to operate, is that a possibility? Is that, is, could that be done? Um, because I think if cost wasn't an issue, I think this would probably be one of the biggest. Um, sure. I think everyone would love this, right? I mean, there's ways to pay for it as well. All people do value capture. They monetize the line above to, to um, pay for the undergrounding. So I think, right. I think this pandemic has, uh, has, has created also, some, besides causing some massive, severe negative sure. impacts, it also creates opportunity. And so for me, that's something I always try to think about is think about what are the, the things that you could do now given this, this kind of change. Right. All right. Great. Thank you. All right. We're um, running, we're starting to get towards the end here. And so I always ask folks as, as we end up, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. What, what do you see as the biggest challenges here in our city? Oh, I think uh, fighting the realities and perceptions of provincialism. Mm. I, I really do feel like I've been told multiple times when I've critiqued some things about Palo Alto that I'm not from here. Mm. And I think that's a, uh, you know, I think when, when people say things like that, they forget, that that is a that is a uh, a dog whistle that has been used against people of color for a long time, and that's a that's a, I think that's a signal for Palo Altans that we think we've kind of become over mm. some things, mm. and then when you're told that kind of stuff, it's like, huh, okay, and then yeah. how does that anyway? I've thought about this a lot. I mean, this is my city. I'm here for you know the next ten years or so, so I'm not just somebody you know I'm not some carpet bagger coming in, and uh, so. Uh, so that would be it. Um, well, let me ask you one last set of, series of questions. Uh, sure. What are you reading? What are you watching? And what are you listening to? Yeah. So um, currently reading a book called All American Boys. Have you read that book? No. It's by Jason Reynolds and Brendan uh, Brendan uh, Kiley. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a novel about um, uh, kind of like a, uh, this um, this this woman gets assaulted and but this uh, black guy gets wrongly wrongly accused and so it tells the perspective from um, both um, a kid that's like a, a, a young Caucasian white guy and then a um, African-American tells it, huh. tells, it tells the story from of this incident from both, both, both perspectives. So I thought it was very kind of timely. It's an interesting sure. read. It was actually recommended to me by, by one of my legislative aides. Um, and so um, I think, I think it's an interesting story. Maybe some of your right. listeners might be, might be interested in that. 
Um, in terms of uh, what I'm watching, um, so I watch a lot of YouTube. And so, you know, this is kind of my own frugal nature. I hate to throw stuff away. So I usually I try to fix it. So I'm, I'm a big, you know, my, my, my dad was a mechanic. He never finished high school. So I, I, I kind of, I, you know, and I grew up kind of poor. So I, I'm, I'm, I usually try to fix it. And also environmentally, I hate, like I'm still riding my bicycle that I got from junior high. It still works, right? And so, and so I would fix it, right? And, and because I think environmentally, it's also better. And so what I love about sure. YouTube is, I, do you ever watch the movie Matrix? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. So you know, like in Matrix, how, like, um, in, in, in the movie, like a woman needs to fly a helicopter. She says, like, download the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Download. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I almost feel like, like, YouTube is like that. <laughs> so if I need to fix a bike or I need to fix my water heater or I need to fix whatever, I can just watch it. It's like an instant download of how to, and then suddenly, you know, I, I know I'm an expert bike fixer, right? So I, I love YouTube because of that, because it's just the knowledge you get. And, and, and I, I think, I think people are underestimating how impactful, um, you know, like this kind of, it's a lot easier than reading something because someone could actually show you how right. to do it, right? Um, and then in terms of what I'm listening to, um, I listen to a ton of podcasts. So, you know, when I'm going from point A to point B, um, I'm either listening to podcasts or I'm talking to constituents. Those are the two things I'm doing. Um, so in terms of podcasts, I listen to a lot of past podcasts about startups. I'm, I'm a huge fan of startups sure. because it's, it's wealth creation. It's, it's it, it, you know, it's provided countless Americans jobs, right? And it's kind of, if you look at what made America as strong as it has been, isn't, you know, the old IBMs or the old HP, it's the new companies that have come up, the startups that have kind of made America kind of- as, you, just, you just pissed off half a Palo Alto, you know. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, it's the new companies, right? New companies that come up. Sure, kind of, sure. Yeah, so I think, so I'm really a big fan of startups and I listen, I'm also an engineer. So I, you know, I listen to lots of machine learning and software engineering. And, <laughs> your, your podcast list is probably very different than mine, but that's great. Well, it, it, it takes, takes all kinds, right? I mean, this is it, kind it, of the joy it's of kind things. Of my, my thing, but it's, uh, that's you know, awesome. but I, I wanted to thank you Bruce, so much for quoting yeah. this and for, um, you know, being available and taking interest in our community and uh, being involved. This is awesome. Thank you. Great. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, you can watch or listen to previous webinars and register for upcoming dates. We have, uh, I think I have four, four, five more folks, four more folks uh, uh, for us. You can visit us at fpresspa.org. Connect with Greg on Twitter at Greg Tanaka and on Instagram at Tanaka for Palo Alto. And then he's on Facebook and websites and all that. As always, you can connect with me on all the social media platforms at at B. Reyes Chow. Be sure to follow and connect with First Presbyterian Church on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where it's all FPC Palo Alto, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can just search for First Presbyterian Church Palo Alto. It'll come up. Uh, Derek's on uh, is away this week. He'll be back on Friday to keep helping out. Thank you, Greg, for sitting down with us today. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And again, uh, everybody who's here, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on Friday when I sit down with Ajit Varma. All right, have a great rest of the week. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Thanks, Bruce. BRC and Friends was produced, written, recorded, and edited by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dog, Vespa. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via B-R-C-A-N-D-F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Thanks for listening to BRC and Friends. All around the world, poverty is stealing choices from kids. It's time to give those choices back. Introducing Chosen, World Vision's new invitation to sponsorship. For the first time, kids have the power to choose their own sponsors. 
Now the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Learn more at worldvision.org slash chosen. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.